Cresce em beleza, força e luz. Please stand by. We'll be streaming live soon. Rosa de Sarol Queima a impureza do meu ser Please stand by. We'll be streaming live soon. Good morning from Rick Bonfin Ministries. We're glad that you joined us. Um, we were going to do a little music this morning with the guitar, but we decided we're just going to take it easy and enjoy our guest speaker. Um, if you haven't joined us before, notice our wonderful new set. Jason Goins came down from Williamsburg, Virginia, and he helped us build um, a log cabin set here, which is just my style. Oh, that worked that camera, okay? Just my style, you know, a good Montana cabin is where I feel at home. Um, Rick and John are not with us this morning. They traveled into Atlanta to do some really important paperwork with the consulate in the Brazilian consulate in Atlanta. So we really pray and hope that all of that goes smoothly. Randall Cup is here with us this week, just um, preparing. We're doing some fundraising for him because he's going to go to Brazil for six months and work down there with Pastor Alanir with Felipe. Celio is retiring, so we really need Randall, Cup, Randall Cup's help to fix everything that's always breaking, right, Randall? And just to serve the people of the hill there. So um, let's just pray, and then I'm going to introduce our, our guest. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you that you are in charge of the nations. And as I was reading in Isaiah this morning, you look down upon the mountains. You look down upon the nations. We are like grasshoppers in your hands. The nations are something you can hold in your hand. You are so great and mighty and powerful. And Lord, forgive us for minimizing you. Because sometimes it feels like the battle is so strong. It feels like the nations and the uproar is even greater than you. But your word tells us that you are over all. That you can pick up all the mountains of the world and weigh them on your scale. You are so great and mighty. So we give you all thanks and praise, Lord, and acknowledge who you are today in Jesus' name. Amen. It's my pleasure to introduce to you Greg West. He is a conference, conference evangelist. He lives in Virginia Beach. He was scheduled to go on a Cuba trip with us in March, and then all the craziness um, caused us to not be able to take that trip. But we did raise $13,000 from the people of that trip that we are still going to take to Cuba and take to the people that are really suffering in Cuba as soon as we can get in there. So um, he's still going to be with us, and he's going to go to Cuba with us, God willing, to take that those funds and bless the pastors and the churches there. So, Greg, we're looking forward to a message from you today. Thank you, Welcome, ben. brother. <clears throat> yeah, I'm grateful for the invite from Rick Bonfin and got the phone call from Betty. And for many years, um, I've heard great things about Rick Bonfin's ministry. Um, David Ford um, is a good, good friend, and so he's traveled with you all to Cuba a number of times. And so I've heard the reports over the years, and with my college students, we were so looking forward to uh, being a part of that. But as Betty said, uh, it's coming, just different timing. Um, and I am in the role of evangelist in the Virginia Conference, um, had served for 10 years as a university chaplain working with college students. and. God has led me into this new thing. So again, grateful to have the opportunity to preach the word to you today. I need to tell you right up front that the message is inspired 
from one of my favorite people, E. Stanley Jones, an amazing missionary uh, to India in the last century. And so this title, The Unshakable Kingdom and the Unchanging Person, actually comes from a book that E. Stanley Jones wrote towards the end of his life. Um, he has been an inspiration in my, my desire to follow Christ uh, closer. So we're going to look at a couple scriptures from Matthew's Gospel, and then we're going to look at a couple scriptures from the book of Hebrews. From Matthew's Gospel, the 13th chapter, verse 33, and then we're going to jump to verses 45 and 46. Um, Jesus sharing about the parables and about the kingdom of heaven. It reads this way. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. And a reading from Hebrews 12, verses 26 through 29, and then Hebrews 13, 8. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. And Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen and hallelujah. Friends, Jesus' main theme in his preaching is the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. I don't know about you all, but I want to major in what Jesus majored in and minor in what he minored in. And the grand theme of his preaching is the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Ninety-seven times in the New Testament we hear the phrase kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven. And then there's many other references to the kingdom. Um, so this is priority. We're in a country that was established because we rejected a kingdom. We rejected King George and, and, um, and England. So it's maybe harder for us to understand the concept of kingdom. But kingdom is... The, the, the sphere of influence of a king. That, that area in which the king has established his reign, his rule, his influence, that is the kingdom. And in a way, you could think about it that we all have kingdoms. That is, we all have areas of influence in our lives. Uh, ladies, maybe we could say you have a queendom. And that's the area where you are influential. And God's plan is that we all submit our kingdoms or our kingdoms, our roles of influence, our spheres of influence, to the king of kings. And so the kingdom of heaven then advances as we yield to the king of kings. Remember, even Jesus, starting off his ministry, said, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand or within reach. It's come near. It's present reality. So in this parable, the first one, he says just that the kingdom of God is like yeast. Just a little yeast that works through 60 pounds of dough. 
And so Jesus is explaining how the kingdom works. The kingdom of heaven is coming. It's here and it's coming. And it works by mixing into the rest of society and transforming it from within. Yeast, in order to uh, uh, cause the dough to rise, must be in contact. It must spread throughout the dough. And so it is with us in the kingdom. Jesus says, go and make disciples. We need to have contact with them. Now, when I say contact with them in the midst of a pandemic, please don't take that literally. Don't go touching people in the pandemic. But um, you know what I'm saying, that we need interaction with people. And as we live kingdom lives submitted to King Jesus, then they will be influenced and the Spirit of God will work on them that they yield their kingdoms, queendoms, to the King of Kings. And the kingdom advances. So the kingdom mixes and transforms what it comes into contact with. Jesus says then that the kingdom of God is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Jesus here is talking about the value of the kingdom. The value of the kingdom. Can you imagine this merchant of pearls? This is an expert in in pearls. He knows what he's looking for. And when he finds that one, he says, everything else is unimportant. This is important. And that's how our attitude should be towards the kingdom of God. This is why Jesus said things like, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? You've pursued the wrong thing. You've pursued that which is temporary and can't fulfill. But the kingdom of God is forever. It is eternal. It is worth everything. So don't let anything interfere with your yielding to Christ and living out, embracing the kingdom. Note also that the kingdoms of the world are in contrast to the kingdom of heaven in the way that they advance. Um, As we just shared, the kingdom mixes and transforms. But the kingdoms of this world have advanced generally by force, by coercion, by violence in many cases. And one king, one, one country advances by conquering another. Not so with the kingdom. The kingdom of God advances by sacrificial love. The love of God in Christ yielding his very life to us. And, and dying and arising from the dead. So then our scripture from Hebrews, the writer has these beautiful words. Therefore, since we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. If you look at the scripture in context, right before that, the writer of Hebrews is quoting the prophet Haggai, who, who says, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. Speaking for God, Haggai the prophet writes that, and then the writer to Hebrews quotes that. So a a shaking is coming is what Haggai said and what the writer to Hebrews is reinforcing. But we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, so let us be thankful. We are much more familiar with the language of receiving Christ. We receive him as our Savior. He's the, the the one who's available to us, and we receive him 
and eternal life comes as a free gift in and through Christ. Um, but we're not as familiar with the language of we're receiving a kingdom. And yet there it is very clearly in the word of God. So it's not just that we receive the person of Christ, but we receive his reign and his rule. The kingdom comes with him. And so I wonder, I wonder, are we joyously submitting to the rule and the reign of King Jesus in our minds, in our thought life, in our hearts, what we're longing for, and in our hands and our feet, how we're serving we joyously submitting to the kingdom who is uh, the, the king of kings rules the kingdom of heaven? I hope so. And the writer to Hebrews says, let us be thankful. Um, church gratitude and thankfulness should, should abound in our lives daily. We have more to be thankful for and grateful for than any other people on the planet. That, that God has come to us in Christ, pursued us pulled us out of darkness into the kingdom, into his marvelous light. His kingdom we receive is unshakable. Make no mistake, it cannot be shaken. An everlasting kingdom that will never be destroyed. And we need to think about all of the things right now that can be shaken in our world or are being shaken. We live in the midst of a global pandemic and so that is shaking the whole earth at this time. Our way of life has been shaken. People have lost loved ones in this pandemic. And so there's a great shaking going on in that sense. There's also a desire that fear would shake us. Um, and if we yield to it, it will shake us. Um, we, we fight it with faith, faith in Christ, and we don't yield to the fear. Don't let it shake you. There's an economic shaking going on. Um, that is touching many. Um, others, it's not touching as much. But that's certainly present. And there's political shakings going on. There's, there's great chaos, it seems, in our country and even in the world. There's relational shakings. And you might have some personal things going on that are shaking you. This is the reality of life. But the kingdom, the kingdom we're receiving cannot be shaken. We've got injustice and riots in the streets and violence in the streets. We've even got literal earthquakes going on. We had one in Virginia um, about two weeks ago, and California had one recently. So literal shakings of the earth. So in the midst of all these shakings, we need something steady, something sure, something that won't be shaken to hold on to. And that is this unshakable kingdom and the unchanging person. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Here is one who cannot be shaken. Jesus, the, the maker of the universe with the Father and the Spirit. And Jesus, the Redeemer, um, who, who death, death did not conquer him, but he rather conquered death. And so when we're holding on to Christ, when we're confident in his kingdom, and yielding to his reign and rule, there's a steadiness, even if everything else around us is shaking. This is the, the steadiness that enabled Moses to stand before Pharaoh and say, let my people go. It enabled the Israelites to stand in the midst of the plagues that were going on. 
Can you imagine standing before Pharaoh and not shaking? He was the most powerful man on the earth at that time. But Moses knew his God, and so he wasn't shaken. It's why Paul and Silas are able to sing in a Roman prison. They were holding on to the one who is eternal, and the joy came right out of their mouths. It's what caused Priscilla and Aquila and John and Peter and James, all the apostles in the early church, to preach and teach, even though persecution and jail could be a consequence. That unshakable kingdom and the unchanging person. It is how we stand today. Think of it. Jesus is a king like no other. A king who chose his place of birth. A king who who walks in humility. A king who goes to the poor, to the broken, to the hurting. And the sick are healed. The lame can walk. The blind can see. Jesus washes feet. And he brings hope and truth. He confounds the religious leaders in their hypocrisy and lifts himself up as the source of life. He is indeed a king like no other. One of the great dangers that I I want to share with you this morning, a deep conviction that I've had for a long time, is that there's a tendency in church world and the world at large to, to make Jesus into our own image. That is, we want Jesus not to be Lord or King, but we want him to be our mascot. You know, stay on the sidelines, Jesus. Cheer for us. Get excited about we're doing what we're doing. But don't coach us. Don't tell us what to do. We've got this. Just bless us as we do our thing. But church, he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He will be nobody's mascot. I believe it was Reinhold Niebuhr who who said, in the beginning, God made us in his image. And ever since, we've been trying to return the favor. The problem is we're fallen. And so if we do that, we make God in our fallen, depraved minds to be like us. And he is not like us. He is holy, holy, holy. Different, different, different. He is not like us. And so the danger I see in our culture today is that we would make Jesus like us. Philip Yancey, um, a great, great author, Billy Graham's favorite author, said um, he had many examples of this in his book, The Jesus I Never Knew. One of the examples was from the Cuban Revolution, where the Cuban revolutionaries would hand out little cards with the, with the um, Communist Manifesto on one side, and on the other side it had Jesus – with a carbine over his shoulder, a rifle. And at the bottom it said, Viva la revolucion. May the revolution live on. And so Jesus with a rifle on his back. A great distortion of who Jesus was. And that seems so odd. But we can slip into that same thing in lots of different ways. There's a temptation for the Republicans to make a Republican Jesus. And and the Democrat Party wants a a Jesus that's a Democrat, or we can make Jesus into being an American. He was none of the above. He transcends all those categories. He's the maker of heaven and earth. He's the redeemer of the world. He doesn't submit to our petty categories. And so we cannot spin the scriptures so they back us up, our political 
desires, our worldview, we must embrace Jesus as he is revealed in the Holy Scriptures. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, read them, reread them. There is the authentic Jesus. And then we align our lives with his life and submit to him with great joy. You all may know the quote from Dorothy Stairs, um, a novelist from the last century. She wrote, We have efficiently paired the claws of the Lion of Judah, of the Lion of Judah, certified him meek and mild, and recommended him as a fitting household pet for pale pastors and pious old ladies. Wow. Wow. A, a twisting of who he was. Um, be careful. Be careful that we're not following a Jesus of our imagination. You might say, well, I think you're, I think you're overstating the case. I, I, think, I think it's, uh, you're going overboard maybe. Well, let me show you from the first century where this was going on. Paul, the apostle, writes a letter to the church in Corinth. His second letter, so 2 Corinthians 11.4. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says 2,000 years ago. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the spirit you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. Church, these words are stunning. Even in the first century, the, the true image of Jesus was being distorted, and people were coming and preaching a different Jesus. And Paul says, you all put up with it easily enough. You were fooled. You bought in. So church, this is not an exaggeration. We don't want to be those people who on that day, Jesus says, depart from me. I never knew you. And yet we say, Jesus, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. Depart, I never knew you. We can fool ourselves, so we need to be humble. And again, go back to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Reread and, and follow the authentic Jesus. Walk with him, live in him, submit to his kingdom. He, Jesus, is unchanging. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that's good news because he's gloriously perfect in every way. Having worked with college students over the last 10 years, one of the the, the things I would offer them one-on-one -on -one or preaching to, I'd say, guys, do you think a better offer is coming? Really, do you think a better offer than the one we have in Jesus is coming? Because the offer we have right now is phenomenal. That God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever should believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. He comes to us knowing we're a mess, knowing we're sinful, and he reaches to us. If we'll receive him and repent and believe on him, he will give us new life, abundant life, and eternal life as a gift. Do you think a better offer is coming? I don't think so. I'm, I'm, I'm putting everything on that offer, the offer that Christ has given us now, his unshakable kingdom and him, the unshakable person unchanging person. Remember, Jesus, um, he, he said at the beginning of his ministry, repent, change your mind. The kingdom of God is within reach. It's at hand. 
We receive this king. We receive this kingdom. E. Stanley Jones, again, the, the missionary to India, says, we haven't rejected the gospel. We've reduced the gospel. We, we've made it smaller than it is. Remember, it's referred to as the gospel of the kingdom. In Matthew 24, Jesus says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. John Ortberg says that we've reduced it to the minimum entry requirements into heaven. What's the least I need to do to go to heaven? The gospel is never presented that way in, in the scriptures. He is worthy of our whole lives. Yield to him. The problem with reducing the gospel is that my college students would say things like, I'm an earth and environmental studies major. So, Greg, you're doing the spiritual thing. I'm, I'm kind of doing the science thing. And I'd say, wait, wait, wait. No, you're doing creation care. God has called you to care for his creation. It's a very spiritual thing you're doing if you're walking in the spirit, if you're connected with Christ. The education majors say, you're the chaplain, you know. I'm going to be working with elementary school students, and so I'm not really doing the spiritual thing. And I said, I think you're going to need Jesus to love those kids on some days. And so it's a very spiritual thing. The gospel of the kingdom, Jesus is interested in every aspect of life. And, and we need to preach this because young people especially are looking for something to give their lives to, something bigger than them. And if we reduce the gospel, they won't see it in all its glory. God is not only redeeming humanity, he's going to redeem the whole earth. And so the kingdom of God is God's total answer to humanity's total need. We pray your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom of God is within you, and it's not a democracy. It is a monarchy, and that's good because Jesus knows better than us. And finally, the writer to Hebrews says, Therefore, since we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Is there reverence? Is there awe in you? I know that I need a checkup every once in a while. The busyness of life can rob those from us. But there should be reverence and awe in our lives because of the Holy One in our midst, because of the indwelling Christ, because of His Holy Spirit leading us. The danger is so many of us come to the faith and we approach it in a consumer model. And what will I get? What will I get? And we stay at the center rather than letting Jesus be at the center as King of Kings. Our God is a consuming fire. He is. He is. He consumes what doesn't need to be there. Remember, he's like a refiner of silver. and He burns up the dross. Again, Paul in 1 Corinthians says, if anybody builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, straw. Their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed by fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. 
don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells within you? And so he does consume the sin in our life. Remember, John the Baptist said, I baptize with water, but somebody is coming who baptizes with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He's a consuming fire. He burns up that which we don't need, the sin in our lives. And so as I close, just a couple questions for you to consider. In the midst of all the shaking, who are you holding on to? In the midst of all the shaking going on, do you understand the kingdom? And are you experiencing that it is unshakable? Pray with me. Jesus, you are awesome in every way. Thank you for life. Thank you for abundant life. Thank you for purchasing us with your very life. Jesus, give us a greater understanding of your kingdom. And God, let us see it advance by our sacrificial love. You've already made your sacrifice, Jesus. And so lead us to do the same. For your glory, let your kingdom come in us, through us, be glorified. We pray in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Thank you. Start again. Thank you, Greg. That was powerful. And I also am a fan of E. Stanley Jones. Um, in fact, that's how I happened to meet Rick Bonfim. I attended, when I lived in Montana, I attended the Montana Christian Ashram. And uh, E. Stanley Jones established the Christian Ashram, a, a, a camp-type setting where Christians would come together and um, really worship in the Holy Spirit and have the Word. And Rick was our evangelist at the Montana Christian Ashram in 1993. And that was wow. a work of E. Stanley Jones that he began. So I'm a great fan of his, too. Um, Tomorrow we're going to get back into John 19, and Greg has set us up perfectly. I'm going to be teaching on as Pilate scourged Jesus, the king. And it just presents to each one of us, what are we going to do with the king, the king of the Jews, the son of God? Each one of us has a, a decision to receive him for who he is or to scourge him to scourge him and reject him, or as Greg was so um, eloquently saying, to minimize him and turn him into something that serves our purpose and our agenda. So you gave me a great lead up there, Greg. Thank you. And it also validates what I was reading this morning as we were having our time of prayer. So I felt like as I was listening to your message, Greg, I wanted to reiterate a few verses here from Isaiah that just talks about in the midst of everything that seems to be so in, intimidating, so pressing on us, it just seems sometimes that it can even minimize God. But we need to remember who he is, where he sits. And that's in Isaiah 40. Um, speaking of God, who he is, who has measured, I'm in verse 12, the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens by the span or by the half cubit. And calculated the dust of the earth by the measure. And weighed the mountains in a balance. I just flew out to Oregon and looking out the, of the plain, just flying over the Rocky Mountains. Imagine that God could just lift up all those mountains and just weigh them in his hand. That's how great he is, folks. 
Who has directed the spirit of the Lord, or as his counselor has informed him? With whom did he consult, and who gave him understanding? Many of us want to serve God, but only as advisors. We want to explain to him how things are and give him understanding of what he ought to do. Amen? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are regarded as a speck of dust on the scales. Verse 22, it is he who sits above the vault of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a a tent to dwell in. It is he who reduces rulers to nothing, who makes the judges of the earth meaningless. Praise God. We have one king, one kingdom, an everlasting kingdom, as as Daniel said in Daniel 2.44, all these kingdoms shall be deposed by a kingdom which will never, ever be deposed by another kingdom. We have a kingdom coming that will last forever and ever, and we're part of it, and Jesus Christ is our king. So thank you, Greg. We hope to have you back another day. God bless you. Estrela alva brilha em mim, brilha a luz que inunda o meu viver. Chama o meu nome a qualquer. Eu quero ser